Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The show is about to begin. Cheering crowd sound, it's concerts, concerts that made us, concerts that made us.com. Hi, this is Jesse Switchblade from Deadline, and you are listening to Concerts That Made Us. Keep rocking. Shadows forever protected in history they rebel The conqueror's a sign of 
Jesse Switchblade, you're very welcome to Concerts That Made Us. Thank you very much for having me. I'm delighted to have you. It's a, it's becoming a bit of a running theme now the last couple of weeks. All my guests seem to have these really cool rock starry kind of names. It's funny the way it's working out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, when, when we started this band, we didn't want to go by our original names. So we decided to sort of in the... Kind of like in the 80s, uh, we decided to all give ourselves stage names. Um, initially, when we started, we didn't know what direction we wanted to go in because the band started to teach our original bassist how to play the bass. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure <laughs> he ever learned. <laughs> so we, we, we were going to go sort of in a hard rock, hard rock, glam rock kind of direction. So obviously we thought Guns N' Roses, Motley Crue, all those like stage names. So we decided to to go with the stage names and not just um, – Look, my real name is Carlos Sanchez, so um, people would think I was trying to sell them grams of cocaine at a show. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. <laughs> oh, man. And you guys are releasing your third album, Vitriol Inc., on the 5th of May. What an album. I mean, it's up there with some of the greats like Iron Maiden. You know, it could go par you, per par that. with those guys. Wow. <laughs> nice to you. <laughs> Some might say it's your most daring release yet. What can you tell us about it? So I suppose being the one of the only remaining original members left, um, I think it's our best release by far. Um, so look, when we started first album, we, we weren't sure with the direction we wanted going, like I said. Um, I think we had a, we had a, we had a rock drummer at the, at the time. We had a bassist that was really only playing root notes. So, I don't think we backed ourselves to write faster, heavier music. So we released more of a hard rock album with two or three songs that kind of leaned towards the Iron Maiden, Judas Priest kind of kind of um, vibe. Because when we started this band, we wanted to sort of, you know, the main goal was to be like Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, you know, be a sort of a an old school, new, new wave of British heavy metal band, but sort of with a, with a newer sound. Um, there were the second album, we... So we, our original guitarist immigrated um, and then we brought in his replacement to write much faster riffs, faster solo. So in the second album, um, it, it happened over COVID and he wasn't able to immigrate. So the we, we were a three-piece for a while, which was very difficult, but we were able to incorporate the new guitarist style. So we were much faster. And um, I think that that album was more of a heavy metal album, if we can say that. And then with this one, it's basically where it's it's what I've it's where I've wanted to go to. So we got a new bassist who plays in a deathcore, proggy deathcore kind of band. Uh, great, great bassist. I mean, he's playing with a fretless bass, which is crazy <laughs> for our type of music. Yeah. Um, drummer's fantastic. Um, and again, no disrespect to the guys that were here before, um, but their replacements really are a bit stronger. So. Um, we were able to be more ambitious. You know, we were able, our, our middle, our, our um, rhythm section is much tighter. It's much stronger. And you can hear it, you can hear it in the mixing and in the mastering. We, our first two, our first two mixes, um, our first two albums were much brighter because we were kind of um, not hiding the bass, but uh, it wasn't as prominent. Now we've got a guy that's, that's really up to scratch. So we've, we've brought that out and you can hear it. The, the grooves are much fatter. They're much thicker. We're still standard E and um, I think this is where we wanted to go to. This is where we wanted to arrive at, actually. Um, you know, growing up, we all loved power metal, heavy metal, thrash metal. I'm a thrasher myself. So we wanted to sort of have an album that where Halloween met Metallica, met Priest, met Testament. And I think we we got it there, thereabouts. 
Yeah, yeah, you definitely did. Jeez. And this album in particular, what was the inspiration behind it, you know, when it came to writing the lyrics? So we have a running theme in Deadline, which uh, which, which which goes with the, there's like a little story behind all the album names, the EP names, um, our, all our merch, et cetera. But we don't often write about the story. Hmm. Um, like a typical heavy metal band will write about possession and politics and war and all that crap. <laughs> <laughs> This specific one, I tried to change the lyrical content a little bit more. Uh, a lot of it is movie-based. There's a song on there called Synthetic Illusions that's um, that's very much inspired by, oof, what's it, uh, Total Recall, um, you know, those cyberpunk type of movies. Um, Devil in Disguise is inspired, I wouldn't so much say a movie, but the uh, the Millennium series, the girl, the dragon tattoo, ah. the girl uh, on its nest, that type of stuff. Um, and funny enough, there's a lot on the topic of Stockholm syndrome. Funny really? enough, um, so it, it kind of your yeah, song, uh, Sweet Apocalypse and Exhale. It's kind of like part one and part two. Um, yeah, look, I write a lot about uh, <laughs> I write a lot about women. The pain of my existence. I'm so with um, that. <laughs> that theme, I think, stays throughout. Um, but John, there's a lot about war as well. There's a lot about war um, monuments. It kind of uh, was inspired by the fall of communism, but it's really more like a story of the more things change, the more they stay the same. Mm. You know, you, especially when we've had that in South Africa, you know, the new dispensation comes in, we burn old monuments, we burn old statues, and then 50 odd years later, we're back where we, you know, where we started. And um, so that type of stuff. Ghost of Kiev, I suppose, speaks for itself. It actually comes with a bit of a, Ghost of Kiev is actually a funny one because uh, when, when obviously when the war broke out in Ukraine, we we heard about this. Uh, I don't know if you followed the story with Ghost the of Kiev. fighter plan. Yeah, that MiG-29 fighter jet that uh, may or may not have been real. And we made a joke and we were like, has Sabaton written about Ghost of Kiev? And we looked and we were like, nope. And we we're like, God damn it, we've got to beat them to it. Because <laughs> <laughs> we in our first album, we released a song called White Death and Sabaton had already done a White Death. You know, if there's any war-related song, Sabaton's ahead. So we released this so we could beat Sabaton to the punch. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good achievement, all right. <laughs> you know, you picked specifically the tracks Monuments and Vitriol to play in this episode. What was it about them two that stood out for you to pick? Monuments, because uh, since it was released, it's been our most streamed song. Um, and it's getting it's, it's getting a ton of streams daily. It's almost about 30,000, which for... Uh, I'm just talking Spotify. Obviously, we um, it's easier to keep tabs on Spotify. I think for a band like us, it's it's quite um, excuse the the pun monumental. Um, it's been going down really well live, and I think it kind of encompasses sort of what you know where we wanted to go to. You know what we wanted to achieve. Vitriol because it's the album's called Vitriol Inc. Uh, we see Vitriol as the title track. Um, it's really a continuation of the story of this whole deadline Lady Blitzkrieg story, which we started with the first album. And um, yeah, I think I think Vitriol is kind of, if you add all the components up, your answer would get to Monuments and Vitriol. Yeah, yeah. And something I was very intrigued by is you guys are the pioneers of the new wave of South African heavy metal. How did you go about achieving that title? Did you, is that a genre you created yourself or did you just <laughs> take it over? No, it's, it's tongue in cheek. It's tongue in cheek. <laughs> it's, uh, you won't believe it, but uh, 55 million people in South Africa and we're the only old school heavy metal band. 
there's one, I mean, you can imagine metal's not very big here. So there's one glam rock band. Um, obviously, there's a lot of doom and, and, and sort of stoner rock have become quite big worldwide. So a lot of those have come through and obviously death metal and death core there's, and metal core. There's a lot of that. So we just, we took the piss because when we started, um, a lot of the younger kids were calling us dad rock. <laughs> so we came up with this new wave of South African heavy metal. Um, it was really just tongue in cheek and it was to take the piss and it stuck. And um, till this day, there's no other old school heavy metal band, I'm afraid. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Uh, and you know you formed in 2014 and since then you've grown a dedicated fan base and you've won six south african heavy metal awards personally what has the journey been like for yourself i mean look it's 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 quite an interesting one because um we we never expected to 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 release an album I mean, we didn't expect to, to print a shirt or, or release a single, let alone an album. You know, when we started this, we we were pretty um, cognizant of our shortcomings. Um, like I told you, our bassist couldn't play. He was playing root notes. Our drummer was a basic 4-4 drummer. But we were sort of in our middle 30s, and we just wanted to have fun, you know. Um, and we actually, funny enough, we exploded after – Oh, what a sad story. But anyway, <laughs> we exploded after we didn't win the battle for Maiden. So Iron Maiden right. came over in 2016. They were busy touring their Book of Souls album. And they, the promoters and, and were with another promoter who actually has quite a bad name in the scene. They decided to do a battle for Maiden and the, the one who would open for Iron Maiden at the Joburg show. And um, we made the final and we didn't win. And... Yeah, there was a few bands that could have won, but the band that won was the worst on the night. And then it, it came out that the whole thing that the whole thing was rigged. Oh man! <laughs> and because we were the only heavy metal band that actually put that made it to the final, because the rest of the bands were hard rock, punk. Uh, I mean, the band that won was like cowboy rock. I, I can't even explain it to you. Anyway, um, so the metal scene got just you know they they got behind us and. And funny enough, that's that's how we sort of started building. So from there on in, people wanted singles. They wanted shirts. We started getting booked all over the country. We started getting booked to Botswana. And when we looked again, we were in the studio recording the first album um, with a, a bunch of guys that had, I mean, first of all, they'd never even played live until Deadline. And then they'd never seen the inside of a studio until Deadline. So to have made it all the way here, having lost 60% of our original squad, um, yeah, in, in a, in a, in a, obviously – an environment that doesn't promote heavy metal, uh, let alone dad rock. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a great journey. I mean, we've all got day jobs. I mean, I used to be an attorney. I'm now a banker. Um, yeah, the guitarist, uh, judgmental, he's an attorney. Our guitarist, sculptor is a, a business analyst. So, I mean, this is a... Uh, I suppose it's, a be it's better than a round of golf. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. And definitely day jobs that you would never ever in a million years associate with a metal band <laughs> <laughs> we um yeah look it's, it's something we always wanted to do and, and and the fact that we got to do it even at the level that we've done it at has been great you know we funny enough we we, we got a really good following in south america and just before covid we were going to do a little tour to brazil argentina and ecuador unfortunately it didn't pan out and anyway when we came out of covid it was just ex leaving left right and center so <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I get you. I get you. At this stage, so I usually like diving into my guests' 
history when it comes to music to give the listeners a sense of where you come from. So if you can, can you remember your earliest musical memory? Oh, yes. <laughs> so I wasn't really bothered by music. I wanted to become a professional football player. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> uh, big big Benfica fan in Portugal and, and in the UK, big West Ham uh, fan. Right, and right. Um, <laughs> I remember listening to – I started listening to Queen and Dire Straits, and they were kind of my gateway drug. I was totally in love with Dire Straits. I mean, everything Mark Knopfler was doing was like music to my ears. And then from there, um, I was going to, funny enough, an Irish Catholic school, Christian Brothers College, CBC, which was run by um, Irish brothers and um, – and they were again, we were going through, a, in the early 90s in South Africa, we were going through the satanic panic, where everybody was like, if you play this backwards, you hear the, <laughs> you hear the devil talk to you, and Papa Smurf <laughs> is evil. And so they told us that Kiss and Wasp and ACDC and those bands were really evil. So I just wanted to get my hands on them for, for sort of case study. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I got my hands on, on, on Razor's Edge by ACDC and Appetite for Destruction by Guns N' Roses. And completely fell in love with the sound. But it wasn't until I went to Portugal the following year when um, my cousin played me Live After Death, Iron Maiden's uh, live album from the from the Power Slave tour that I just completely fell in love. Um, I couldn't even get past the first song, which was Ace's Eye. I think I played it 10, 12 times over on vinyl. By the time I'd finished with The Trooper, that song three, I think three hours had surpassed. And that was it. I, I sold my soul to Iron Maiden right there and then. <laughs> And growing up, did you grow up in a very musical household? Was there support for music at home? Oh, no, not at all. Right, right. <laughs> no, very strict Catholic Portuguese parents. Uh, yeah, no, look, very, um, unfortunately, look, um, we, we we grew up in Pretoria West, which is where a lot of the Portuguese people grew up. Hmm. Uh, all the Portuguese families were there. And I was the only Portuguese guy listening to heavy metal. So, unfortunately, I got pretty ostracized by the community from uh, from day one. They were all listening to Mariah Carey and Tony, Tony, Tony and Tony Braxton and all the hip-hop and R&B and rave. And, and I, um, yeah, look, somewhere somewhere along the line, I, I really got into grunge. And that kind of got me, um, you know, the pull jams and the sound goddess <laughs> of this world kind of saved my life a little bit. But, for, but yeah, yeah, I struggled with, with, yeah. I mean, it was only once I got to varsity that I was able to meet some like-minded people and, uh, yeah, you know, start sharing my, my passions for bands like Sepultura, Testament, Iron Maiden, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a long time to finally find your community, I suppose. Yeah. No, South Africa is a tricky place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've heard, I've heard. And, you know, when it comes to gigs growing up, what was the local music scene like? So look, we, we, I must say we got quite lucky. Um, the South African music scene started booming right about from 1994. Right. Uh, from 94 to 2002, um, yeah, we, we, we were quite fortunate. So it started with um, some heavier rock, grungy kind of bands like the Springbok, Nude Girls, Sugar Drive, Squeal, uh, Lithium. Um, and then um, with that, there was a lot of metal happening. Look, in those days, we were lucky enough to have still had a lot of alternative and metal clubs in the country. Um, you know, we had just come out of apartheid. Uh, the country was still very much, you know, run, you know, all the, you know, like businesses and clubs were all still run by white people. Mm. Um, you know, people of color were still coming out of the sort of the, you know, the areas that they had been forced to go live in. Um, so we had a lot of those clubs still available to us. People hadn't immigrated yet. The rand hadn't start, started to, to drop. 
So we were quite lucky in that in that in, in, in that in that um in that regard. Um, there was a band called Agro that were quite big at the time, Metal Morphosis, um, but they had that typical '90s sound, which kind of it bordered on thrash, but it kind of also lent a lot from grunge. So you'd see a lot of us growing up in South Africa, we didn't really. If you listen to Maiden, you 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 could have also listen to Nirvana, and there was no. You know, ostr- you know, like no one would ostracize you. There was no divide like overseas where you read that grunge killed, grunge killed metal. Uh, with us, we, you know, only in the late 80s, early 90s did the CD shops start selling all of that, you know, because we were coming out of apartheid and we were coming out of all of that. So um, if you listen to Aglica Joe or Nirvana, you, I mean, you'd have Sepultura, Megadeth, Anthrax in the same, <laughs> on the same tape that you were taping back then because... We were just happy to, it was like freedom. Hmm. So um, at the same time, Seether was coming was coming through. I'm sure you know. Oh, yeah. Seether, they were known as Sarin Gas. So they were quite a big band back at the day, back in the day. So we tried to catch a lot of those shows. And, and we were quite lucky. The scene was quite alive up until around about 2006, 7, 8. And oh. that's when things started. You know, a lot of people started immigrating. Hmm. You know, violence, you know, going out at night started becoming a little bit trickier. And then... Um, yeah, and, and and the scene since then, unfortunately, it's just gotten it's just less and less people. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I suppose other genres probably overtook rock and metal as well, really, like EDM and pop. I suppose. Yeah, of course. I mean, anything in anything to to be popular, you know. Unfortunately, metal is all um, shunned upon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, and it's become worse after COVID. Look, I mean, we. Some bands still have quite a bit of following. Um, we've got a band that broke recently called Valvadinia. They're quite huge overseas, deathcore band. In fact, a lot of people credit them as the fathers of Slam, which is incredible. Um, so if Valvadinia plays, they always fill, a, fill an event, um, as well as Facing the Gallows. They're a metalcore band very much in the Parkway Drive kind of mold. But with us, it's, it's hit and miss. Eh? Um, we'll play some gigs and they'll be packed, and then other gigs we'll be playing to to the crickets, you know, it's, <laughs> yeah. it really just depends on the night in the middle of the month is tough. Um, so whenever we organize gigs, we try to play beginning and end of the month after people have been paid. Yeah. It's a, it's it's a good strategy. Reality of, of things over here, yeah. 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 And as a concert goer then, I'm sure you've, uh, you've attended some pretty cool gigs in your time. What concerts would you say have made you? So I've been doing this since 2007. I'm obsessed. <laughs> um, look, Maiden, nothing is better than Maiden Live. Oh, yeah. I've seen him 10 times, and uh, I don't think there's a better band than Iron Maiden. Um, I've tried to model my our live shows after them. Mm. Uh, we're very energetic and aggressive on stage. We have a lot of uh, props. and uh, So um, they're an obvious influence. Um, best bands I've seen. Hmm. Hopefully Metallica in 34 days time at download. Oh, man. <laughs> Terrible lineup, but mm. um, I had to go see two shows in three days. Um, <laughs> Machine Head, Machine Head download 2007, incredible. Rockland is so good with the crowd. Um, Halloween at Vakken, Vakken 2018 when they did the, um, the Pumpkins United tour. My God, they were so good. Um, Wasp at Hellfest 2009. Like there's so many. And then there's always like these massive surprises like um, Godsmack. Yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't even a Godsmack fan and I was at Graspop in Belgium a few years back and I was on my way to Corpaclani and they started playing and I was like, 
hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there's there's a band that always comes to mind that I always tell everyone. I'm like, um, it's Papa Roach. I'm not the biggest Papa Roach fan. Right. But holy hell, I've watched them now six times and goodness, they bring the fire. They're one of the greatest live acts I've ever seen. Yeah. And it's show after show after show. Like Jacoby just seems to get better and better. Like, wow, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's was probably one of my most like, my best memories of going overseas and watching bands is actually Papa Roach. Jeez, that's the first time I've heard that now. I, uh, I always assumed it would be good, but yeah. I love his energy because, look, I've got a lot of energy. I, there's not a show where I don't bleed, where I don't hurt my knees. You know, I'm always jumping around, and um, I love his energy. He's, he's just able to he's able to put you in the palm of his hand, and um, whether you like Pop Roach or not, by the end of that, uh, by the end of that show, you've, uh, you've joined the army. Yeah, yeah. I have to ask this now. Is there a, a band you've seen live that maybe – your followers or your fans would be surprised by <laughs> Ronan Keating. Oh, really? <laughs> I had this girlfriend that uh, insisted on taking me to all these pop bands. Right. All from your neck of the woods. So first, first it was Westlife. Oh man. <laughs> then it was Ronan Keating, although I did enjoy Ronan Keating, I'm not gonna lie to you. Okay. He actually he did this little thing in between where he wanted to give praise or give thanks to all the Irish artists. And he played Brown Eyed Girl by Van Morrison. Yeah. He played Where the Streets Have No Name by U2. I'm a big U2 fan. <laughs> so, and he played a Whiskey in a Jar. And uh, I was quite impressed by that. Uh, yeah, that was pretty cool. Right, right. I have to say, I never thought I would see the day where Ronan Keating and Westlife were mentioned on the podcast, let alone in the same, uh, the same sentence. <laughs> I've seen Westlife twice, by the way. Oh, man. You know, you're just digging that hole deeper for yourself now. You could have not said that. <laughs> it's even worse now because she married another guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Hey, at least you're off the hook for the Westlife gigs. <laughs> no, no. Goodness, that was so boring. Yeah, I could imagine. And the worst thing is they're back together and touring at the moment. So, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, God. Right. Let's move on to your own gigs. You've mentioned a couple of things about your uh, your own shows, but what can listeners who haven't seen one of your shows expect? Give them the full experience. Oh, wow. Um, we have a lot of energy, a hell of a lot of energy. I burn a hell of a lot of calories. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I suppose we, we we don't have the we obviously don't have the um the budget that Maiden has. So I'd, I'd hate to say poor man's iron maiden, but that's really what it is. I throw myself around, um, I jump. Look, I, if there's a crowd, it's a bit of stage diving, but people don't really, you know, there's not a lot of moshing to our music, it's more headbanging, you know. Um, but I'm always you know, if we sing in a small club, I'll jump on the bar. I'll come sing in the crowd. Um, expect me to whip your girlfriend away <laughs> when I'm singing Rebel Yell. We do a really cool cover of Rebel Yell. Um, a lot of from masks to lasers on my hands to cowboy hats. So, look, I normally wear something for each song. Um, we do a cover of Ghost Square Hammer where I've got my own um, my own little Pope hat, whatever you call it, and a cross. So yeah, we're very theatrical, very energetic. It goes, sometimes there's tears, sometimes there's blood. Sometimes I'm punching the shit out of everything. I've broken, expect a broken mic stand. I'm quite aggressive on stage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose, 
I suppose when when I got into when when I got into when I first started out in bands, I was in a grunge band for many years, but we never really saw the light of day. And then with work and everything, I gave up. And then in 2012, I started again. We started a Metallica tribute act. Okay. Called Gunship. And we do like an hour and a half of Metallica, everything from the famous songs from like Enter Sandman and and and, and Creeping Death, all the way to Leper Messiah and Disposable Euros. And the the guys I wanted to emulate when I was on stage was kind of a mix between Mike Patton. Dickinson and my biggest influence on stage was probably Phil and Salmo. So that's where the aggression often comes from, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Actually, last gig, we were 15 seconds into the show and I uh, broke my mice stand in half. Right. <laughs> 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 hey. So it's, it's, it's fun. It's fun. I've also got a two meter long chain I flip around. So if you're in the front, <sighs> Doc. <laughs> <laughs> I have to ask. How do you practice and perfect your stage show then? Because I take it you don't go into a rehearsal room and smash it up. No, look, I'm everything is from the heart. Um, I always tell my guys whether we're playing to five people or five thousand, play every show like it's your last. Um, the minute I get on stage, I get almost like it's almost going to a trance. Um, I like to wing everything. So if I'm climbing up. This, the rafters or the ceiling or whatever, it's it's part of that show. Maybe the next show I'll be more on my knees. It depends. Um, I watch a lot of WWE. Right. <laughs> it's taught me to improvise on the spot. So, yeah, I mean, look, it depends on – also, it depends on the crowd. You know, you you can also gauge a lot of what you can and can't do with the crowd. You know, if, they, if they're awake to what you're doing, if they enjoy what you're doing, if you've got to tone it down a little bit. Um, yeah, so it, I, I just shoot from the hip. Yeah, yeah. Oh. I see, I see. And is there a gig then that you revisit over and over in your mind as maybe the perfect gig you've played? Hmm. <laughs> um, goodness, with the sound that we often have, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, there's a few, there's a few. I think um, our launch gig, when we launched Black Wolf City, our debut album, on 15 October 2000, uh, 2017, just because of how many people were there. Um, I never expected that. The place was, 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 yeah, it was packed. And um, so many people, obviously by then we'd been, we'd been playing quite regularly and people knew our word, the song words. And it was just amazing to see what they gave, you know, what the crowd gave back to us. So that's, that was a nice memory. We obviously, we made quite a bit of money that night, which is unusual. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I love all our Cape Town gigs. I find the Cape Town crowd really, they're quite open to us. And then we had quite an eye-opening gig. We played in Botswana. Right, okay. Now, Botswana's, Botswana's got the fastest-growing sort of metal scene in Africa. And, you know, obviously, you know, when we, when you're from South Africa, whether you like it or not, you know, black and white is still very, you know, it's because it's it's your everyday reality, you know. Um, and to go to Botswana and just see black people at, at your show, packed, like we played a, um, a community hall, and the guys were all wearing leathers and, and they've, they're known as the cowboys of metal because they always they wear cowboy hats. And to see them with Cannibal Corp shirts and Metallica shirts, and it was incredible. And um, we had to escape through the back door. They were treating us like rock gods. It was, um, <laughs> I think, you know, going across the border and just knowing that we're just a bunch of guys playing some heavy metal. You know, obviously, we got day jobs and to have been treated like that. And by those, you know, like seeing African people embracing the culture like that, it was Unbelievable. I mean, I think one of our guys was like, <laughs> he was so overwhelmed, he had tears in his eyes. That's <laughs> <laughs> surprised. I think I'd actually make sure every gig I played then was over there, you know, if you're treated like that. 
amazing. And no, it's it's incredible. I, I tell if yeah, I mean, look, the scene's obviously still small there, but it's growing. If um if bands could get out there, I would do it because it's the problem is it's it's very unprofessional. So it's bad sound. They organize it in community halls, but let me tell you, they treat you so well. Um, accommodation is sorted. Like we, we sometimes struggle with South African promoters to get paid. Really? <laughs> Those guys are paying us half up front, half after we finish the show. Um, and just the passion, the passion was incredible. They, they, they knew our songs. It's like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> <Ow>. <laughs> so that's nice. It makes, it makes all the, the suffering with the day jobs and not making practice worth it. <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. I'd say so. And to flip it around then. This will be interesting. Is there a gig you would say was the worst and how did you deal with it? I know, I know exactly which one comes to mind. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, let me say this in the nicest possible way. <laughs> <laughs> so we just, uh, we were in and out of COVID and we were invited to play a pretty big Halloween gig in 2020, 2020, 2020, yeah. And we had a terrible gig. Um, unfortunately, um, so what actually happened was our bassist did not have a very good gig. He, um, as I told you at the start, we started the band so that he could learn how to play the bass. And five years later, he was still playing root notes. And shame, look, he was going through a lot of, uh, you know, stuff in his personal life as well. Hmm. His dad had just passed away and everything. But um, I, unfortunately, his bass was on quite loud on the stage. And I followed the, the bass and I started singing out of key. All right. And a lot of the musicals in the crowd, including some new up and coming bands, which are doing really well at the moment, they started walking away. And that obviously hurt my ego. Um, Cause you know, obviously we're an older band, but then we were quite established. Um, now you've got these kids that uh, you could see they're laughing at you. And uh, he just couldn't sort himself out. Every time I asked him, did you tune your bass guitar? He was like, no, but Sean tuned it for me. That's uh, our other guitarist culprit. And then I started shouting at him on stage. I'm like, why didn't you tune it yourself? Like, why can't you tune your guitar? And this thing just, it snowballed until eventually I screamed at him and I told him to to switch his bass off and um, my mic was on. Oh man! <laughs> yeah, there's something there's something to say about a Portuguese temper. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, man, that was you know unfortunately look, we the whole band you know um, left quite upset after the show mm. and I suppose that was the catalyst to him eventually leaving. Um, but yeah, look, I mean, it was just, it was unsavory, not, not, not only the fact that we messed up so bad, but obviously I suppose my, my reaction to it, uh, how I wasn't able to, but I suppose, you know, it's when you, you're dealing with, we had a few gigs post COVID and obviously we were very blessed to still be playing and they weren't good at all, you know, and the mistakes were coming from the same guy, you know, and, and it, it really hurt us. And I think that was just the final straw. And, um, I wish I'd done things a bit differently, but Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I suppose that's just the way things go sometimes. No, it is. It is. I mean, when, when you're in a band, it's like you're being you're married to four other people. And, you know, if you're giving 100% and someone else is giving 60, you know, somewhere along the line, you guys are going to clash. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And, you know, when you're playing gigs then, what kind of antics do you guys get up to backstage? So, <laughs> <laughs> majority of the band are good boys, married with children. Um, so no antics from them. I'm the oldest in the band, but I'm also the naughtiest. Um, <laughs> been engaged twice. Like I told you before, the bane of my existence is woman. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I've been known to do, yeah, I, I've, yeah, I've lived a pretty good rock and roll life. Um, but I mean, look, with us, 
you know the thing is um because we we play in, we we it's 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 so small the scene um for us it's just a, it's, it's an absolute honor to be able to get up on a stage and, and play to everyone all the time so we're super professional you know um i'm quite strict to the guys when it comes to drinks before the gig we have like a two drink max um if anybody's pissed and they mess up they hear from me at the end of the gig <laughs> we have a debrief and i suppose it's again I'm, I'm just very cognizant of the fact that we're the only old school metal band in this country and i want us to be able to perform to our best best of our abilities um and in a way i'm very competitive and i don't want the core kids and the death metal kids to think that they're better than us you know so i'm very strict to the guys um afterwards yeah i mean if if, if, if whatever's your 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 poison go for it um, but like I said, the guys are good boys. I mean, our so our latest drummer, Righteous Mike, a drummer on the album, he's a pastor. Right. Okay. Thinking of crazy day jobs. Yeah. So he pitches up to play and he goes because he needs to prepare sermon for uh, Sunday morning. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So uh, to go back to an earlier comment, he's out at night playing the devil's music and he's getting up in the morning to preach. <laughs> and he loves it. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so you'll always so because we we're one of the bigger acts now, we'll we'll generally headline or we'll be sort of towards the end of the bill. And then he'll always ask us, is it okay if we play at nine? <laughs> I need to be home early. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. What can you do? Yeah, true. Drummers, drummers are like hen's teeth in South Africa. When you when you're lucky enough to get a drummer, they're playing for seven other bands. <laughs> really? <laughs> so if you if you've got a drummer, then uh, that's good. They can play. You've got to, you know, try and make his life as easy as possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And how do you guys measure success when it comes to your career? You know, just just to be able to do what we're doing in South Africa, I think is success enough. You know, the fact that we've won six South African Male Music Awards, um, no matter how small they they seem to sound, you know, um, the irony is we've won Best Old School Metal Act four years in a row, which is quite silly because we're the only old school metal act, but they put punk and thrash and all the other genres together. Um, I suppose the fact that I get small things, like for example, a few years back I was in Amsterdam and I went to a pub called Excalibur in the red light district. And I saw one of our stickers behind the bar. So, you know, because whenever I go to these, because I go to festivals every year, so I give out stickers and stuff. And, and just the fact that it was in Excalibur, which is like a very famous bar in Amsterdam, that for me is like success. Or the fact that somebody was in Zanzibar on holiday the other day and they saw somebody wearing our shirt. And when they asked them, where did you buy that shirt? And they were like, no, in a flea market at a metal festival in Belgium. <laughs> oh, so obviously somebody's pirating our shirts, which is great. <laughs> I don't want to send from it. You know, I've got a day job. You know, I want um, – all, all we've ever wanted is a bit of recognition. Whether we've had the best um, musos or not, we've put a hell of a lot into this band. And um, so that for me, you know, coming from where we come from with the, the jobs we have, starting it in our mid-30s, et cetera, is success enough. And the fact that we now, you know, we've released three albums, uh, um, an EP. We've got people streaming our albums all over the world. Um, we've got people all over the world wearing Deadline shirts. Um, yeah, that's that's, I suppose... That's success enough for me, eh? Yeah, yeah. And I always ask, say 30, 40 years time, you're rocking the nursing home. You look back at your career. What do you hope your legacy is? That we were, that we, that every time we got on stage, we gave 110% and that we were at all times, we gave our best. Mm. 
good one. That's all I've ever cared about. And again, it's it's, it's this competitive nature, you know, being up against 20-year-olds. I, th- I suppose that's why I'm so much more aggressive than them on stage. I throw myself around more. Um, in my mind, we're way heavier than any death core or death metal band because a lot of the guys stand on stage with the instruments and they don't move, you know, and I'm, I've chipped my tooth. I've got blue eyes. I've, you know, like, yeah, and, and that's really what I want our legacy because we've always been more of a live band. I suppose growing up with Maiden being your favorite act, you know, we – Excuse me, all I ever wanted to do was emulate them. So that's really all I wanted. I want when people watch, you know, watch us to know that we gave 110% on that stage no matter what. Yeah, yeah, I get you. I get you. And before we move into the last couple of questions then, future plans, gigs coming up, anything you want to advertise and tell us? We're obviously going to have to promote the album now or obviously promoting the album. Um, So this last weekend we played at a festival called Untertage which uh, was our unofficial launch for the album. Unfortunately, we weren't able to play a show on the 5th because um, logistics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> logistics. You know, it's, it's South Africa. Mind you, I see Anthrax just cancelled the European tour, so it's not just us. So we'll, um, we're going to be playing 26th of May. We're taking the album launch tour to Cape Town. Then we fly back on the 27th. It's in Joburg. And then we're back home on the 2nd of June. And uh, yeah, we've got some nice bands supporting us on all on all of these shows, mostly metalcore and and and, and death metal. But I mean, there's nothing else that you know you can do about that. You know, you're not gonna be able to get any any, any old school metal acts. And um, we're looking forward to that. New merch is, you know, we've got new merch um, shirts that are similar to obviously the singles we released. Um, we are gonna print some physical copies of the album. So we're looking forward to that. Uh, we are can because so so all our originals we come we write in the first page we write a little bit about the story about this this infamous Lady Blitzkrieg that returns to the fictitious city of San Lombardo to kill Deadline. So that's really sort of the theme. She's our Eddie. I mean, unashamedly so. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And we'll uh, we'll dive into the last couple of questions. So everybody gets these, I'm afraid. So you can't get off the podcast till you answer. If you could see any performer from history in concert from one night only, who would it be? Good question. I've been quite lucky to have seen everything. I mean, I would have loved to have seen certain bands in certain eras. Like I would have loved to have seen Metallica in 86, you know, Puppets era. Um, But I suppose out of bands I've never seen, I would love to have seen Pantera circa 93, 94, you know, when when Falls at his craziest. I'm very so... I know the whole world is pro Dimebag Daryl um, and his brother. I'm I'm very much pro Phil and Selma just because he shoots from the hip, and I'm very much like that. So when he got into trouble for that <laughs> that uh, semi well Nazi thing, look, I mean he's obviously at his side of the story, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I was very supportive of him, not because of what he did, but just because I feel for him. You know, you know, Phil's always been a guy. What I've loved about Phil was the fact that he was shot from the hip, and you never knew what you were getting. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I would love to see them in, 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 in the height of their powers. And maybe, oh yeah, wait, one more. Sorry. No, it was probably above that. Sepultura after they released Arise. That was the most dangerous band in the world. 1990, 91, 92, up until the, the, up until refi- um, Chaos AD. I've seen some of their shows. There was nothing more brutal. Yeah, it was probably one of those two. Yeah. <laughs> Two very good ones there now. And the next one. So if you had to spend 24 hours in a room with any musician, dead or alive, from history, hopefully they're alive with you in the room, who would it be? James Hetfield. 
Really? I like the quickness of the response. Why, James? Yeah, because I've thought about this many times. First, I'd give him a very long and solid hug. Because <laughs> <laughs> right. I know he's going through a lot of mental shit. And um, yeah, he's just one of my biggest influences. I mean, I know people love to hate Metallica, but um, if you ask any metalhead what's their top 10, 20 favorite albums, I can guarantee you Kill Em All, Ride the Lightning, Justice, and and most of puppets will be there. I know people always moaning about the production on Justice, but you know, when I was 14 years old and I heard Justice for the first time, I knew nothing about production and I was like, this is so cool. <laughs> you know, um, I just, um, I, I find that obviously by being the biggest metal band, you can do whatever you want. Uh, for the most part, I suppose, in many people's eyes, they failed. In mine too, when they released Load and Reload, I thought, goodness gracious, I want nothing to do with these guys. But I just love the way they always find a way to find something new to do whether it's shooting a, a, a movie concert like they did with uh, Through the Never or whether it's doing what they did with uh, that Lulu album, which I completely don't like, but it doesn't matter. Um, it is what it is. They, I mean, whether it's two shows in three days, they always somehow, you know, Symphony and Metallica, you know, um, always managed to somehow be the first to do something. And uh, I respect that. And I have a lot of questions I'd love to ask James. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And I have two questions for you based on Metallica. So first one, what did you think of St. Anger? And the second one, what do you think of the latest album? Okay, St. Anger, absolute rubbish. <laughs> right. so I'm the biggest Metallica fan, but I only like six of the, six of the albums. <laughs> <laughs> Look, St. Anger, I wasn't ready for St. Anger. I think uh, I know why they released it and I understand it. And if you see it sort of individually at that at that moment in time, it is what it is, really. Um, I've heard them play St. Anger Live where it sounded really good, you know, with, with happy drums, <laughs> <laughs> properly tuned, <laughs> you know. Um, unfortunately, the bands that they were trying to compete with at the time, like the Systems of a Down and the Slipknots, et cetera, Chord, were releasing better albums. You know, it is what it is. The new album, I don't know. So I was expecting very little, so I don't necessarily hate it. I, I think for guys that are in their 60s and uh, or 59, 60, and especially because James has been going through a lot of, you know, you know, he went back into rehab and the divorce, and you can actually hear it in his riffs. Um, you can hear the sadness in a lot of these songs, you know, Darkness at a Sun, et cetera, et cetera. But, I mean, I'm just happy they're releasing albums, you know. I think, like, I didn't like the previous Maiden album either, and uh, – I was just happy they were releasing an album. You know, I look, I, I don't look for, I don't look to Maiden, Megadeth, Metallica to to release albums I love anymore. You know, I've got soil work for that and Spirit to Drift and and phew, there's so many others. You know, I, I don't look to the older bands to to keep producing what they were producing. As far as I'm concerned, most great bands only really have four or five or six really great albums. Yeah, yeah, true, true. And I'm talking Michael Jackson to U2 to Metallica to Maiden. So I'm, there's so much, there's so much good music at the moment from, in you know, you know in, in, I mean, I don't know if you know Spirit to Drift, such a great rock band. Um, Skeletal Remains in the death metal scene. Um, there's so many great new bands, you know, so I don't I don't look to the old ones to keep, um, I'm happy that they can't release Ride the Lightning anymore. <laughs> um, but um, I do know all the words to Lexi Turner now, I think. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I was actually the exact same though. I was... I wasn't anticipating anything great, you know, and I was almost expecting another Saint Anger, but it it's uh, it's better, you know, it's good. I feel like I really need to do a deep dive on it and listen to it. Yeah, look, I I, I haven't yet. 
Um, there's a part of me that wishes they'd done another St. Anger because Kirk solos aren't, uh, they're just lackluster. There's no energy, there's no motion. But the reality is, and I mean, I think this is the big mistake metalheads make. You know, we always expect our favorite bands to keep releasing our favorite albums. It's it's not it's not gonna happen. You know, right now we have Gojira and Sabaton and Ghost and those bands. I mean, Ghost are, are releasing good albums. Soon they're gonna become stale. Yeah. Just like Slipknot a few years back, we're releasing great albums. But the last few albums, it's just it sounds like Slipknot playing a Slipknot album, you know, and 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 that's really, you know, it's the metamorphosis of music, man. You, you know, there's always gonna be a bigger, better thrash metal. Um, look at um, what is that thrash band, Power Trip? Mm. Power Trip, when they released Nightmare Logic, wow, that was like the best thrash metal album since Sepultura's uh, Chaos, uh, yeah, um, Arise, sorry. Um, but that's the thing, you can't expect your Euros, they get older, you know, they they start playing for different reasons. You know, you James isn't half as angry as he was when he wrote Ride the Lightning, you know. Um, you got to understand that. And there's angrier bands out there now. There's 20-year-olds that are writing good music, and there's nothing wrong with supporting them. I mean, we need to... The scene needs to keep evolving. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Or else it'll die out. And the the final one. So what song would appear on the soundtrack to your life? <laughs> oh, man. Most probably Machine Heads Imperium. Right, right. Why so? I feel like I've been fighting people my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> and Imperium is a bit of a call to arms, you know. Hmm. Um Oh, that riff, goodness. You know, they'd hear me now, this I vow, no fucking regrets. Fuck this shit, goddamn slave, I'll be indifferent. Look, Rob Flynn knows how to deliver a message. <laughs> Love him or hate him. Goodness, that man's emotional. So yeah, he's a Cancerian. <laughs> no wonder. <laughs> um, and, and I'm not big into horoscopes. It's my, it's my girlfriend that got me into this. <laughs> okay, okay. No, but yeah, Imperium by Machine Head. I've got a tattooed on my right leg, so yeah, let's go with that. Has to be that one. So listen, Jesse, it's truly been an absolute blast now. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks a million. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it.
Hey guys, I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please rate and review us on iTunes and Spotify. And if you're interested in signing up to Band Builder Academy, use the link in the show notes below and enter the code CONCERTS and you'll receive 10% off. So, until next time, keep rocking. Hey, hey, what are you guys still doing there? The show's over. It's over. You can go home. Go on. We'll see you next time. We'll be here. Bye.